in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We'll begin reading with verse 7. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 981. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. This is the word of God. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired, inerrant word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we we live in an ever-changing world. And so often we, we see the, the changes, the devastating changes caused by sin, Lord. And Lord, may we be a, a, a people of hope, hope in Christ, hope in the promises of your word. Lord, may we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are indeed a righteous God, who loves us in Christ, given to us your Holy Spirit. We give you thanks always in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been asked the question, uh, do you know a famous person? You know, a famous person in business, entertainment, politics, or sports uh, back in the day? Uh, my younger sister and I were flying home from a, a family trip on a different flight from uh, her parents. I was in college. I think my sister was in high school at that point, younger sister. And uh, surprisingly, we got bumped up to first class. I'd never flown first class before. Haven't flown it since. Uh, but uh, when we sat down... You know, I saw in the row behind us John Chancellor. Some of you might know who John Chancellor was. He was like Walter Cronkite, John Chancellor. They were the news anchor, John Chancellor, for NBC News. And, uh, you know, I knew it was John Chancellor, but, of course, you asked the stupid question, Are you John Chancellor? And he answered very graciously, Yes, I am. And of course, you have to say something else. And um, 
and uh, said this, my friends and I watch you on the news every night. And, and that was a true statement. You know, back in the day before social media, you know, you, you watched the network news. And John Chancellor was one of the great newscasters. You know, and I, if I'd been thinking, I could have said true that. But uh, I could say today, well, I know John Chancellor. Most people would probably say, who's that? And, but do I know him? You know, I said hello to him, said a few words uh, to him. But I did not know him. But he, even though he sat silently behind us uh, there on the, on the flight, well, let me ask you this morning, do you know Christ? Do you know him personally and intimately? Do you know Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? Can you sincerely say from your heart, as we hear the Apostle Paul later say, I know Christ Jesus as my Lord. I I not only know about Christ, you know, he's not just sitting in the back row behind me. You know, I know, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and as we look at these verses here in, in Philippians 3, Verse 7 and following, we'll see this, that all those who know Christ and God's righteousness know his salvation assurance. Well, how can I know God's salvation assurance, even here, even now? You know, three words to to help structure uh, the, the sermon today, the words are these, recognize, rest, and remember. You know, Philippians 3, verse 7, keep your, your Bibles open and, uh, you know, hear the verses that precede Philippians 3, verse 7. We, we looked at them last Lord's Day. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 5, here, here's the Apostle Paul, you know, talking about confidence in the flesh. I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You know, Paul had this prior confidence in the flesh before uh, the Lord brought him to saving faith in that dramatic conversion account there in Acts, actually three times there in the book of Acts. You know, here in Philippians 3, 5, and 6, Paul is stating his fleshly assets, those things that he possessed and once considered gain. And now in Philippians 3, verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Along with those three words, recognize, rest, and remember, you know, look at all the personal pronouns here. Nine times, I, my, and, and five short verses. You know, Paul gives us his personal testimony, this account of his faith and trust in Christ. You know, and it begins with that word gain, but whatever gain I had. 
Some of you will be able to identify with this well. Gain is a, Paul is borrowing from the language of accounting here. We almost might use the word asset. You know, whatever things I used to consider as an asset, those things in my bank or in uh, CDs or whatever it might be, IRAs, whatever gain I had, Gain in the eyes of a fallen world, now I consider loss. Liabilities is another way of translating loss. Assets, liabilities. Whatever I considered assets, they're now liabilities. You know, why loss? Uh, John Calvin put it this way, because there were hindrances, they were hindrances, those those things that Paul mentioned there in Philippians 3, verses 5 and 6, because they were hindrances in the way of his coming to Christ. You know, the only other time the the New Testament uses the word loss, and I won't read the whole passage, but it is in Acts chapter 27. Paul, you know the story, the account, Paul is on the way to Rome uh, for trial. He's on this ship. And the ship gets caught in a great storm, and we read, let me read two verses from the account, Acts 27, verse 10. Uh, Paul said, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. And if you skip ahead to verse 21, Acts 27, 21, since they had been without food for a long time, they're in the midst of this storm, uh, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. It's that same word. You know, they, they had thrown overboard all the cargo. You know, that they were going to bring that, uh, you know, to, to Rome. They were going to pass on the cargo, receive payment for the cargo, but they valued their lives more than they valued the cargo. But it was a loss. You know, pastored a few churches in uh, farming country and uh, consider the losses of farmers. Farmers who endure losses by frost, floods, bugs, critters, Like the rich young ruler, we must be ready to relinquish our riches for Christ. That's what he says here. You know, back to Philippians 3, verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. All these temporal things which the Apostle Paul once treasured, he now regards as unnecessary cargo that will sink his ship unless he throws it overboard. No longer does he proudly prize his circumcision on the eighth day, his birth as a Jew, his membership in the tribe of Benjamin, or the fact that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a persecutor of righteousness, but here the last phrase, as to righteousness, blameless under the law. And that was a true statement. You know, it's all flotsam. You know, for those of you who've been on, on the ocean, 
you know, that floating debris in the ocean. No one's sure where it comes from. Recognize my sinful poverty. You know, since my childhood, I heard missionaries speak at, at church. And uh, I also read missionary stories. Uh, one of the first missionary stories I remember hearing, I heard about it before I read the book, is the story of Jim Elliott and his four fellow missionaries that were killed by the Aka, now known as the Huarani tribesmen, uh, back on January 8th, 1956. It wasn't even a year old, but I, I heard the story. You know, why were they killed? They, they sought to bring the gospel to an unreached people group in the Amazon jungles of Ecuador. You know, listen to this memorable quote. You might have heard this before by Jim Elliott. It's in his, uh, you know, his, in his uh, diary that's now in print, but the words are these. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If you haven't heard it before, it's worth writing down, remembering he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, here's the rest of the story. He, he lost his life. You know, the world would say it was big in Life magazine in the day. But here's the rest of the story. About two years later, his widow, Elizabeth Elliot, you might have heard of her name, and her three-year-old daughter, Valerie, uh, along with the, another widow of one of the missionaries who were killed, they, they went back into the village and lived with the tribesmen, women, who had killed her husband. Why did they move back there? To bring them the gospel of, of Jesus Christ so that they might show and speak of the love of Christ to these sinful strangers who needed the love of Christ. You know, and there was gospel fruit. You know, many of those same tribesmen, people who had killed their husband, came to faith in Christ. You know, in his word, God calls us to view our transient earthly gains as liabilities. You know, the first step of salvation assurance starts with recognizing our sinful poverty. As willful and wicked sinners, there's nothing we can bring to God's bank for our salvation. There's no treasury of merit. You know, we come to Christ with our liabilities. And truly, the only thing we bring to God is our great sinfulness. That's where it starts. But look next at verses 8 and 9. We recognize, I recognize my sinful poverty, but we rest on the righteousness of Christ. You know, verse 8. You know, Philippians 3, 8 through 11 is actually all one sentence in Greek. Um, it's all one gospel truth, but for... Um, ease of understanding. We'll look at verses 8 and 9 and then 10 through 11. Next, uh, verse 8, indeed, I count everything as a loss. 
So everything that, that Paul possessed, pride, position, prestige, it's wood, hay, and stubble. The Apostle Paul clearly states his core value, his chief mission in life. Look there at, at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth or the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, I believe if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, Paul, what's your mission in life, what's your life all about? He would say, to know Christ. Secondly, he would probably say, to share the gospel. To know Christ, you'll you'll see that it's so important, you'll see it repeated there in verse 10, that I may know him. You know, what does it mean to know Christ? First, Paul counts everything in his life as loss. You know, notice that word, everything. Everything, that's a fairly inclusive word. Everything is loss. You know, that which he had formerly said as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now he would say, well, that's all loss. That's all a liability now. To know Christ, you know, because of his righteousness, he, he, he knew the worthlessness of works righteousness. You know, first of all, though, it's important to note that God knows us. You know, here Paul wants to know Christ, but it begins, you know, like love. We love him because he first loved Christ. We know Christ and God because he first knew us. Exodus 33, verse 17. Exodus 33, verse 17. Just one example. There's a host of them in the Old Testament. This is one of the first. And the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. I know you by name. Imagine that. You know, God who created heavens and earth, all all the birds of the air, fish of the sea, every creature, all creatures, descended from from Adam, he he knows us by name. You know, when we get to heaven, we won't have to wear name tags. You know, God will know us, and I believe as well, we'll we'll know the names of, of everyone else. You know, God knows us as his chosen children. Our great God graciously calls us to know him. You know, John 17, 3, we're going to start looking at John 17 on Wednesday nights. It's, this is truly the Lord's Prayer, but this is how, how Jesus begins. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know, that, that's what God calls us to, graciously calls us to, to, to know him. You know, but back to Philippians 3, you know, what does it mean to, to know him? The surpassing worth of knowing 
Christ Jesus my Lord. We, we, we know his name. Christ Jesus. Christ, he's the promised Messiah written of in, in all of the Old Testament. He is Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's the only one who can save us, but it's a personal salvation knowledge. Look next at verse 8, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That, that, that pronoun is, is very important. He doesn't say Christ Jesus, the Lord. That's a true statement. But it's Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, it's only here in the New Testament. There are hints of it elsewhere. You know, Thomas, when he saw the risen Christ appear in the second, the second time in the upper room, you know, the Christ who had a, uh, a tangible body, a, a resurrection body, but what does Thomas cry out? My Lord and my God. John 20, verse 38 or John 20, verse 28, excuse me. Christ Jesus, my Lord, Christ is my Redeemer who died on the cross of Calvary for my sin in my place. He lovingly rules over my life as Lord. In Rome, a good citizen would say, Caesar is Lord. If you were a loyal citizen, that was what they would expect you to say, but Paul doesn't say, Caesar is my Lord. Christ Jesus is my Lord. You know, all true Christians should joyfully proclaim, Christ Jesus is my Lord. Savior and Lord. You know, a while back, and you still hear rumblings, is he your Savior, is he your Lord? And they tried to say, well, it's, uh, you, you have to say both. Well, if Jesus is your Lord, of course he's your Savior. He saved you from your sins, and if he saved you from your sins, he's also Lord over, over your life. Our humble Redeemer, our reigning King, our returning Lord. You know, but back to verse 8 here. Uh, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, King James uses the word dung in order that I may gain Christ. You know, a seeming paradox here. We must suffer loss to gain Christ. You know, but now verse 9, still thinking, resting on the righteousness of Christ, and really in verse 9, uh, we, we, it's been called the, the essence of the gospel, the essence of Pauline theology here in Philippians 3 verse 9, it's a true summary of Romans that we finished up this morning in Sunday school, Carl taught, book still available, and be found in him, be found in Christ. You know, what does it mean to be found in Christ, to live in glad union Glad gospel union with Christ. You know, think of that, that parable that Jesus tells in Luke 15. You know, that, that good shepherd, 99 sheep there, one was lost. What, is he, what did the shepherd do? He, he went out 
sought the sheep until he found the sheep, joyfully carried him back home. You know, it's God who finds us. You know, we we don't find God. You know, we're, we're like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We're running from God. We're hiding from God. And God founds, finds us and be found in him. You know, as we sing, you know, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That was a hard sentence for the Apostle Paul to put pen to paper. Or he had someone recording it for him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Paul had perfectly kept the law. You know, but, but here, you know, in this dramatic gospel reversal, he says, you know, that, that the law can't give me righteousness. Not righteous by our birth, whether we're born in New York or Louisiana. Is it okay to say that? Not righteous by our good works. We're not righteous by any education we have. We're not righteous by the amount we have in our bank account or the amount we don't have in our bank account. You know, Romans 3 verse 10 puts it this way. There is none is righteous. No, not one. But, back to verse 8, I have suffered the loss of all things, And count them as, well, verse 9, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. There's the gospel. You know, we are unrighteous, and, and how can we ever be considered righteous? It's only, you know, by faith. In, in Christ, the righteousness of Christ that is credited to our account, imputed to us, that we receive by faith. But it's not even our faith that saves us. It's our faith in Christ, the righteous one. You know, the righteousness from God. You know, it was there, you know, it's there not only in the New Testament, it's there in the Old Testament. You know, the verses there at the top of our bulletin, Psalm 32 Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. God is the righteous one, and he clothes us with the righteousness of of Christ. If you want us, you know, God not, not, not only calls us righteous, clothes us with the righteousness of Christ. You know, it's another way of understanding this. Those of you who like uh, theology, you know, I'm one of them. You know, God justifies us. He declares us righteous. 
in Christ. Our shorter catechism, 33, puts it this way. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, credited to us, and received by faith alone. But look at the last part of verse 9. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. You know, it, you know, our, our salvation is all of God, all of uh, all of His grace, His sovereign love for us in Christ. You know, there's a hymn we sang last Sunday. If I'd been thinking, we would have sung it this Sunday. Um, and the hymn was before the throne of God above. It's actually an old hymn put to a new tune. But here just one verse. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace, one with himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ, my Savior and my God. With Christ, my Savior and my God. There's a gospel here in one verse. It's not the only verse. Here, Philippians 3, verse 9. But the gospel is all of God. We're found in Christ. No righteousness of our own. The the righteousness comes from God. Through faith in Christ, salvation is God's gracious gift to us. And why is that? God gets all the glory and the praise. He richly blesses us with assurance of salvation, not because of our works, but because of the good work of Christ, who died for our sins on the cross. We we rest on the righteousness of Christ. Now, with certainty with comfort, with confidence. You know, as we age, you know there's birthdays today. You know, you know, as we age, you know, there there is great comfort and confidence in knowing we we rest on God's righteousness in Christ for our salvation. We need not fear death. You know, we, we can go with, with joyful hearts, full confidence in Christ. Last, uh, we remember Christ's resurrection and ours. So, again, the outline, recognize my sinful poverty, verse 7, rest on the righteousness of Christ, verses 8 and 9. But we remember, we ought always to remember Christ's resurrection and ours. You know, after our full-scale sermon series on Romans, we just finished a three-month study of Romans 2 in Sunday school. You know, so, you know, if you're ever thinking, you know, what did Pastor Dean preach on? I can't remember. Hopefully you can say Romans. And um, with a smile on your face. But, uh, you know, what, what strikes me here in Philippians is, the powerful gospel truths here. You know, gracious theology. 
know, just, just as we see in Ephesians, we see in Romans, we see it here in Philippians. You know, here in Philippians 3, 10 and 11, you know, we hear again the, the mission statement of Paul. You know, God's word graciously provides us with a God-glorifying purpose for life. Many people, and not just Christians, are saying, well, you have to have a mission statement. You have to have a, a purpose statement for your life. And I'm not opposed to that. You know, but for us as Christians, we, we can draw it straight out of Scripture. What's your purpose in life? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Again, that I, I may know him. You know, and here, you know, I know I'm preaching to the Presbyterians, Reformed folks, not just an intellectual knowledge, not just a head knowledge. You know, that, that word know teaches us that, that we are to love the Lord. We're, we're to love him as we're told in Deuteronomy 6.5. Love him with all my heart, all my soul, and all my might. And Jesus repeats that in the New Testament. Mark chapter 12 verse 30. You know, keep in mind that the Apostle Paul wrote this, you know, about... 30 years after he had come to, to faith in Christ. He doesn't say, well, I know everything about Christ. If you want to know the, anything about Christ, come to me. You know, Paul knew that he had only taken baby steps towards knowing Christ. You know, his prayer is that he would more fully know Christ. Christ, faithfully follow him, fervently love him. You know, listen to these words written by Sir Richard of Chichester, or Chichester, you know, from the 13th century. Some say he wrote this, it was his deathbed prayer. I quote, O most merciful redeemer, friend, and brother, May I know thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly. You know, I grew up in the, in the 70s. Godspell was the big Broadway musical. Godspell is actually an old English word for gospel. You, know, you, you have to be discerning if you, you listen to the music. But, you know, there was one, one song that came out of God's spell that was based upon this prayer. Actually, it was a hymn as well, but this was a God's, God's spell song. Day by day, day by day, O oh dear Lord, three things I pray. To see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly, day by day. I think that's a great prayer. Not, not straight out of scripture, but scripturally saturated, you know, for us to, to pray every day. Lord, every day, may I see thee more clearly, may I love thee more dearly, may I follow thee more nearly, that I may know him. Not, not just when I'm at church on Sundays, not, not just when or having family worship time, may, may, may I know you, Lord, better and better 
every day. May I love you more and more every day. That I may know him next and the power of his resurrection. You know, it's not just something we remember on on Easter Sunday. You know, it's not just, well, 40 days out of the year we think about Christ's death and resurrection. No, we're always to think about it. You know, that Christ bore our sins on the cross. He fully endured God's holy wrath for us. He conquered sin and death in the grave. You know, by his glorious resurrection, he is the first fruits. Ephesians chapter 1, 19 and 20 puts it this way. Ephesians chapter 1, 19 and following. And what is the immense greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know, God's... Christ's resurrection graciously gives us, as his chosen children, full assurance of salvation. Power of the Holy Spirit for gospel witness, a powerful hope in life and in death. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And now here's, uh, you know, if the first two weren't difficult, the third truth is hard, and may share in his sufferings may share in his sufferings. Not that we are going to be nailed to the cross, scourged and nailed to the cross. You know, but, but the Christian life is one of suffering until we get to glory. Physical, emotional, spiritual. You know, and, and Paul's prayer here is, Lord, may I share, may I have fellowship. That's the word, koinonia, with your Sufferings. Philippians 1.29, we've seen this same truth before. Hear it again, Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. No suffering for the sake of Christ. Christ suffered. We may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The implication here is sanctification. Day by day, we are dying more to sin, living unto righteousness, becoming more Christ-like. You know, and God graciously molds us into the image of Christ, and then finally there, that by any means possible. You know, there's not a doubt here. There's no fear. You know, this is a real hope that by any or all means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, that I too may enter into glory. You know, one of the hardest places, I believe, for Christians to stand, you know, is at uh, the open grave of a loved one. You know, 
Many of you have been there, some even recently. You know, my final words at the graveside service, you know, before I close with a benediction and a prayer, commend, trust and pray that believer's earthly body to the ground. And then I close with these words, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And yet here are the final words. Yet in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, that's not the end. You know, truly only the beginning. You know, for, for us as believers. You know, here, I believe there's no better summary of this. And I'll just close by reading Philippians 3 verse 10. May it, may it be the prayer of everyone here that I may know him, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, we thank you that You are a God who can be known. You invite us to know you. You reveal yourself to us not only in the beauty and splendor of your creation, but you reveal yourself to us in your word and in Christ, the written word, the word that became flesh. Lord, may it be our our prayer, our passion, our, our purpose in life, until that, that day of, of our death, that day you've already determined in love. May we be knowing you better and better each day, loving you more and more, following you, serving you, sharing the gospel. But Lord, we, we thank you that you are not only a righteous God, but we thank you that you clothe us with the righteousness of Christ that gives us full assurance of salvation, even here, even now. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.